Welcome to the Touring Fan. My name is Anthony Krizowitz, and tonight it is an evening with Mr. Rob Benson. And let me tell you something. It has been interesting getting this up and running tonight. If the first true episode of the Touring Fan Live couldn't have gone with any more hiccups and purchases, I'm glad it was with you, Rob. Hey, I'm here to help. <laughs> or mess things up completely. No, listen, everything's great. First of all, I've been excited about interviewing you. We've done work in the past together. Also, I want to say personally to you, uh, thank you so much for Stereo Embers providing the intro and the outro to the this this um, the show. Um, yeah. I absolutely adore the song, um, and I adore Stereo Embers, and all of you guys are amazing. So thank you for that. I feel the same about you and your show and, and all that. So th thank you for letting us be a part of it in that small way. Well, dude, you know, it's interesting. We, um, we've never met in person, but we've talked a lot. And sure. I've gotten to know a lot about you. And one of my favorite qualities about you is how intelligently smart you are in the music world. Um, a couple of, about two months ago, you invited me to this Friday night session where all these extremely talented musicians were coming together to collaborate on this music. And I heard the song that you put on. And I'm like, and I texted you afterwards. I'm like, dude, did how long did you take you? Like, how many months and years did it take you to make this, to produce this? And you're like, no, nah, I did it all in, you know, this this short period of time. And mm -hmm. every time I'm hearing music and you're like, yeah, man, I, you know, I produce it this way and do it this way. Dude, you're so talented. I, I appreciate that, bro. I I mean, the thing you're talking about is called Song Club, and it's what we, a friend of mine started up during the COVID because we couldn't play live, and all of our bands were shut down. And so we're just, all the songwriters of the different groups were like, kind of, what do we do? And a friend of mine started this Friday Night Song Club, and every week on Saturday, he gives out these parameters and prompts and the name of the song, and we all have the same prompt, same stuff. So it's a lot like, you know, those film contests where you have like a very short period of time to whoop up a short film, and then you show it that weekend or whatever it is. It's a lot like that every week. And we've done it for 20 weeks now. So wow. it's been, it's been crazy. So yeah. for 20 weeks straight, you've basically just wrote a double LP. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of it that I would not, I mean, a lot of it, I would never, a lot of it was an exercise. You know what I mean? Like, cause if you're getting really strange prompts and all that, you're not always going to write, you know, your favorite song, but it's, it's been, it's like, it's like a class with some of your favorite writing friends and stuff like that and we're all challenging each other to just you know like some weeks i was like oh man i really wrote a good one and then my buddies would just step up and be just like woo, writing these killer songs and so it was cool we just were challenging each other and just kind of pushing each other to kind of stay in the game you know now listen this isn't an overnight success for you when it comes to your talent and your ability of what you're able to do with the, with writing these songs over the last 20 weeks, your work with Stereo Embers, your, your solo work, and everything you've done in the past, yeah. where, do you remember your first memory of when you fell in love with music? Boy, that's a good question. I mean, real young, probably uh, listening to, you know, cassettes in, 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 you know, my parents' car and stuff like that. I just go out there and shut the door sometimes and just crank it up in there. <laughs> they let me do that. And, you know, listen to the Beatles and kiss or whatever they had you know whatever they had you know um my uncle had an eight track in his car in his car and i'd go out there and listen to kiss and acdc and stuff like that and be like yeah this is amazing but i never thought i never thought about at that age i was probably maybe eight or ten or something like that and i never thought it, that that's what i was going to do i just really enjoyed it 
I had my heart set on, you know, sports and other things. Turns out I just wasn't very good at them. You know, I love them, but I wasn't very good at them. And I learned later on that uh, music kind of came easy to me. So just kind of, you know, when I started picking things up. Now, when you were younger and you're playing, you know, going in your parents' car, playing on cassettes, which there's, you know, it's kind of funny. And I think you'll appreciate this. Like, you know how the vinyl rebirth came about the last 10 years? Um, and yeah. it's the talk of like holding on to something. And I really do appreciate like the ability to like hold and it's like real, like MP3s. It just doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like ownership or like pride. And it. it just feels like it's there. Like vinyl was really special. And it was like, you just put the needle around, but cassettes, you had to really work to hear songs. Like there was like a lot of rewind, fast forward. Like if you wanted to hear track three, you literally, unless you had one of those fancy ass tape players that like it fast forward and like stopped on the songs. You had to work real hard to listen to this music on tapes. Yeah, you'd wear out your favorite song, and then the whole cassette. And, and we'd we'd you know have to sort of do this like surgery, you know, with the cassettes, pull them out, and like kind of cut them and tape them back up, and then you'd lose part of a song. And it just yeah, it was it was it was work. And let's face it, everything back then musically had took a lot more work than it does today. I mean, today, you know, you pop on your computer and you <laughs> you listen to your favorite groove uh, on whatever you know Spotify or, or iTunes or whatever you do, and um, or Amazon, and you just it's instant. It's all right at our fingertips. We got anything we want. And so we're, we're spoiled in that way. Um, but yeah, we had to work for it back in the day. It literally worked for it because, you know, people were paying, paying the money for the vinyl or for the cassettes or for the CDs when they happened to come out later on. And, and then, and, you know, and um, oftentimes uh, if you were a huge fan of music and you had it on cassette and on vinyl, the, when, then when CDs came in, you had to have the CD of it too, because that was the most modern thing at that. What was it? Oh my God, I want to think like the late '80s or something like that when it started happening. And yeah. we all started buying CDs, and the you know you'd you'd have all three, you know. But nowadays, yeah, it's just all all out there. So you know, and it's weird because like with my kids, you know, like today he my son was making a playlist. First of all, I have no idea what the hell half that music was he was listening to. But, like, the idea of him, like, making a playlist, like, it's just not the same. Like, I don't know. Like, I've always, like, admired the ability to, like, put things together and put thought process in it. And I've always, like, you know, that's why in the past I've made those playlists and we shared them. That And I've asked people for playlists because I've always enjoyed, like, finding out about people as they, like, create or develop songs and put it together. It's Music is such a, is such a thing that I believe... It can tell a lot about somebody, like in, in the sense of like how they use music, um, like in ways of like a coping mechanism, like what music they listen sure. to and how they listen to it, right? Because like people, you and me, I mean, we've done this already. Like we we die, like we go in and like really dig into music and like try to figure yeah. out like how this is played and where this music's coming from and the source of things. It's really interesting to me, um, which brings me to. The one thing that I've never asked and of you, and I really want to know about, and that's your writing process. But I really want to know, like, the beginning stages of your writing process and how you went from just listening to music in your parents' car to developing a passion and love for music to moving that into something where you were like, listen, I need to get this onto something. So, Rob, when was the first time that you turned around and actually went into recording something? Recording something probably would have been, uh, you know, high school. Uh, I somehow I'm trying to remember. I I either borrowed a friend's four track like cassette recorder, and I'm dating myself, of course, because this is you know late '80s or something. But uh, and we didn't have the modern stuff. But um, and just sort of 
but I don't, I don't think at that point, you know, I don't know that I was, in fact, I remember recording some stuff and showing it to my friends and having them pretty much just laugh at me. Uh, I wasn't very good at it at first, you know, like with anything, you're just, you're kind of, your lyrics are cheesier. You're, you're just kind of, you don't know what to write about. You're young. You're trying to figure, well, some people are instant and they're quick and they're fast about that. I had to kind of mature into it. Um, but it, it started kind of getting better later on in life when I actually got my own sort of like eight track and and started recording on that and practicing a lot and and i think the songwriting kept maturing and then i got a 24 track eventually uh like a, a standalone tascam digital thing that was the big state-of-the-art thing at the time and did a lot of recording on that and it just it built up through the years it really did but as far as um writing a good song i don't think i really felt like i had written a decent song until i was in maybe my I don't know, maybe I might've had a song or two in my late, late teens that were okay, but it was in my twenties when I started thinking, okay, I'm actually getting, getting better at this, you know, starting to figure this out. It, actually early on when I first started and first got to Seattle, I was, I was just a singer in a band. I, I played guitar at home in my, my room, you know, and I, and I played a lot of piano as a high school kid, you know, and writing songs on my own that way. But, um, and piano was always the easy way to write for me, uh, in the early days. Um, but guitar was always really hard. I was, just learning it uh, but i was always the singer in the band you know when you get the, the you'd have the band with the two guitar players and the bass player and the drummer and then there's just the singer up front i was that guy you know for many many years <laughs> until i was probably you know uh until i convinced one of my band members to let me play guitar in the band and then it kind of went up from there <laughs> now i've i always love this do you remember your first band's name yeah, well, oh God. Yeah, I mean, I, see, because none of them, when I was in high school, I was in a whole bunch of different, uh, what I would call projects. Sure. You know, like, hey, let's do something for the talent show. You know, I think we had one group that we called r and R. It's just really terrible, <laughs> terrible name. The first real band that I, I would ever consider that I was a part of was called The Widow's Party. And these guys, um, all of them were super professional. I was living in Spokane, a small town um, on the eastern side of uh, Washington at the time, and I was 18. And these guys had been in another band that was really big, a big rock band. They were kind of just huge and, and a lot of covers, but they were trying to get into originals. So um, the singer that, that was in their band was like, didn't want any part of originals. He was like, no, nah, we're a cover band, you know? So they kicked him out and they started a new band called the widow's party. And I tried out for those, those cats and they, and they let me in. And you know, the funny story about that one, dude is like um, about six months in our one, we had two lead guitar players. I was a singer. And about six months in our, our guitar player was like, man, I, you know, I think I'm going to leave the band guys. I really want to be a singer. And the guys were like, well, we want Rob. And he's like, okay, well, you know, it's amicable. I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go, I'm going to go on and do my own thing. Well, that happened to be miles Kennedy. Uh, that was, uh, I don't know if you know Miles Kennedy, yeah. but yeah, so Miles was, I was in the band with Miles. And, um, and uh, he's, you know, I would say he, he's done pretty darn well for himself. You know? uh, I, would, <laughs> I, would, I would agree with you on that one. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so that was my first real band was with him. And, um, and actually the guy that plays in his band now, Zia Yudin, plays in his solo group. Um, he was in our band back then. The guitar player, the band, that band broke up because the guitar, guitar player after we, we moved to Seattle together. And about a year in or so, the guitar player um, left to be in a band called Inflatable Soul, which is um, all the Cornell uh, sisters and a brother. Okay. It was Peter Cornell and, and a, like two or three of the sisters, Cornell sisters. And so he left us and we just kind of fell apart at that point and, and moved on to my second band after that. So, yeah. So you're at the, and then let me actually, when those bands, those earlier bands, were you recording stuff? Were you very hands-on with those bands or was that something you yeah. were still learning and getting comfortable oh. with? No, I was, I was still just, I was like the, I was the, 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 
the, the other guys in the band had all, they were my age, but they were, they'd all been doing it for a lot longer and they'd been in professional setups and, and our guitar player that um, ended up leaving for inflatable soul. He was really good at that point with recording. He'd done tons of recordings and he always recorded us on his, I don't think he had an eight track or a four track or some kind of thing, but he, he did some amazing demos for us. And, and you know what? I don't have any of those demos. I often wonder what they're, how, how they sound today. Uh, I, I feel like I have a few friends that might have some cassettes that I need to get a hold of and figure out how to transfer or put them, get them digital. But I, I'm, I don't know how it holds up. I really don't. You know, um, the reason I ended up moving to Virginia after uh-huh. leaving Massachusetts was, you know, I couldn't afford to live up there. So I moved to, Vir- I moved to Virginia and in my time in Virginia, I was in a band. I was in a band called Champagne Breakfast, um, a rip off of a Pearl Jam lyric. And, oh, um, Moved to this area in Lynchburg, and this was going to be my st- like a just short stop until I, I was going to move out west. Yeah. Um, but I ended up meeting my wife the second day I was here, and 15 years later, I'm still here. Um, actually, 15 yeah. years in two weeks, we've been together. So I've been here 15 years. But recently, while moving around my garage and getting some stuff set up, I found a CD of not only the um, the recordings of Champagne Breakfast, but I also found video of us at, I think I was, God, it might have been 20, um, playing in this underground hole-in-the-wall bar. Wow. Completely intoxicated, playing bass guitar. Um, <laughs> and just, I think, and then one of the, we were playing uh, Hard to Handle by the Black Crows at one point, and the lead singer's so drunk, he's like dancing on the pole and falling over, and I, I'm, I'm totally sloppy on bass. But, you know, I, in my head, right, I'm thinking mm-hmm. back to those tapes. And I'm like, God, this cause, like we recorded it in my buddy's basement. I'm like, God, this is going to be – I can't wait to listen to this because it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to show my kids. Mm-hmm. Just to let you know, no one has heard those CDs since I found them. Um, those have been hidden in a drawer uh, in my desk because those will never be unearthed again. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a little afraid of that too. Like part of the mystery of not having those is, is believing that maybe it was all right. But I <laughs> – I mean, we were all, we were all over the place. So who knows? Well, I think the one great thing about music is that it brings people together, right? Like when I was in a band, I was this outcast still trying to look for my place in this world and find people that were similar to me. And music always seemed to do that for me. Music was the way that I could utilize a source of something and be able to find people that were utilizing that same source to come together. That's what I've always loved about music. So being in a band with like-minded people, it was always interesting to see how we would combine our thoughts and processes to build something because I always loved the final product, like the final art piece because that is like what it comes through. Yeah. And when it comes to like you guys, like I found you uh, with working with Tim and then Tim introduced me to you when we, uh, when we shared those uh, the Sari Umber songs like a few months ago. And we did these amazing things, and I, and I got to know you real well, and I'm like, damn, this guy is a like-minded person who's super fucking talented, who knows exactly what he's doing, and and it, and then I'm meeting everyone else in the band. Like, I, I mean, I was following Guan's, you know, Instagram, like, Facebook live feeds through, like, <laughs> like the beginning of COVID-19, and I'm like, damn, like, these people are, like, exactly the people you want to be around, and it's just amazing what, that's how, what music does for people. Yeah, yeah, true, and, and, you know, you probably know this because you know a lot of the people around this uh, Seattle scene, but a, a lot of the musicians around here are just, they're, they're all gems, you know, they're really good people. And, and they're um, inclusive. Uh, some scenes are more um, 
you know, cutthroat and more um, kind of uh, they 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 work to fight against each other more. But but in this scene, it's just it's just one big happy family, really. I, I would say. Well, it was interesting because the first interview I did when I was in Seattle was with uh, Keith Ash, and I've known Keith for years. And the first thing Keith told me was because um, I had listed out who I was interviewing. He's like, he goes, oh, I was in a band with this person. I was in a band with this person. Oh, I know this person because this person. I'm like, wait a minute. As big as Seattle is, everyone knows. He's like, yeah, everyone's worked with everybody. Everyone wants everyone to do well. He goes, you go to a concert for Stereo Embers. Everyone that's in the crowd, the next night's playing a show there. And the Stereo Embers are in the crowd rooting for those people and vice versa. And they're working together. And it was, and he said, dude, it's the Seattle connection. And yeah, like, absolutely. And it blew me away because he was not the first. When I talked to Mike Musburger, he said the same thing. When I talked to Tim the first time, he said the same thing. And that's the one thing I really admire and I'm very jealous of in Seattle is it It seems to me from everyone I've met up there, it does seem like there is this uh, camaraderie. I can't yeah. speak English, but, you know, of people that are coming together that really just want to help everybody out. And I think that's, you know, even with like, you know, Pearl Jam, as big as they are, like Mike McCready took stage with you guys, right? I mean, that's- Eddie... Eddie Vedder's taken stage with many of the people. Matt Cameron is taking stage with many of the people. Jeff and Matt, I mean, these are people that, in theory, they can stay home, never help anybody, but there's this connection in that city that is just so magical. Yeah, I mean, I can expand on that. Like, when, when I got into my second band in the early 90s, um, uh, we were called Mean Tangerine, and it was uh, we lived in this warehouse out in West Seattle called NAF Studios or NAF Productions, and before us, we were considered the NAF rats. We were the guys that ran around. Um, somehow I got into this band and it was really a lucky break and they were, they were cool. And, and um, we, our job was living in the studio, but we would help out. They, they'd come in with a big load of speakers or load of whatever from a show. And we'd, you know, we'd be helping them load in and load out for our, basically our room and board. But um, the Mark Nafsey, the guy that ran the, the, owned it and ran it, he did sound for Soundgarden and Allison Chains, Jeff Buckley. I mean, he was like really connected with everybody. So there was people through there all the time. So the first demo we ever did as Mean Tangerine, I don't think it was all that great because of the, the, pro- the production was a friend of ours in a garage kind of thing, like you were talking. But at the, at the songs were really good, but the production wasn't really great. Um, but at the time, um, Lane Staley used to hang out there all the time. And I got to know him and he was super, super nice. And I go, dude, Lane, can I show you this, you know, this demo? And he's like, yeah, dude, let's, let's crank it up. So we listened to it. And he's like, oh, man, I have to have this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the radio station. I'm going to make them play it on my birthday. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to make them play this demo on my birthday. And so that's the first time I ever was on the radio is because Lane Staley was like, you have to play this demo, blah, blah, blah. And, and they did. It was, it was funny, though, because it was a station called KISW in town. And um, the station was like, uh, Lane's here for his birthday, and he's demanding we play this demo for this band. And so, you know, they, you know, yeah. And he's like, yeah, dude, check them out. Go to their shows. And it helped a lot. I mean, the people just people just helped, you know. People were, um, if they liked something, they, they lifted you up. That's the way it worked or has always worked, really. Do you have, I'm, I'm hoping you have audio of that somewhere. That's another one where I believe one of us, so because at the time you would be listening to the radio, you'd literally be recording it on cassette. Like yeah. there'd be things you record it. So one of the four of us definitely has that recording somewhere on a cassette. Now, do I have it? No, but I know one of the four of us does at somewhere. But I, but um, one of the four of us sort of tried to remaster some of that old stuff. And while I think the band was really great and I think my melodies were pretty solid, I did, I'm, I needed to grow lyrically. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, some of my lyrics make me cringe a little bit. And then um, the other part was just the production of whoever our buddy was. I can't even remember his name, but he was like basically recording us in his, 
you know, area or whatever. I think his name is Byron something, but not to call him out or anything, but um, he was just learning too, right? So it was really lo-fi sounding, really like garagey, but the songs were pretty, pretty solid and we were just all getting better and learning our craft and we were all like 19, so, you know. So at 19 years old, you're writing music, you're still learning your craft, getting to where, you know, you want to feel comfortable and you want to have things out there that you're happy with still to this day. At yeah. one point, what point did you start writing stuff and you're like, all right, I'm starting to feel this. I think I, I think I have something here. I know that this is Rob. This is what I can produce. And this is where I want to yeah. move forward with. The next band after that, me Tangerine Band, was called Thistle. We didn't get a lot of traction around town, but um, uh, we, we started kind of um, writing better. That was when I started playing guitar. And, um, and the other guitar player, Dave, um, he wanted to sing. So it was kind of this, we kind of let each other in, in, in that way. It was sort of like, Hey man, I'll let you sing half the songs. If you let me play guitar the whole time too, you know, so I'd be writing a song on guitar and then he'd be writing and singing. And so we sang together and it was kind of this, I don't know, people kind of called it like a, almost like kind of a grunge Beatles type thing or something. It was very, we harmonized pretty well together. That's where it started to feel like, even though the band didn't really break out or do much, we had a seven inch that we put out ourselves and that was really fun. That was the first time we actually had product that was, you know, other than like a cassette or something like that. And that was really cool. So we were starting to kind of feel it there. And then, um, uh, then I, I, I took a little hiatus cause I had, um, my daughter at the time, who's now 25, which is crazy. Yeah. A long time ago. So, um, and then, um, after a year or two off, I started a new band called Nevada bachelors. And that band is the first one where I was like, okay, now, now I'm the guy, I'm the writer, I'm playing guitar. And, um, and we, we, we kind of took off pretty quick within, within a year, that band was opening for a band called Goodness in town. I don't know if you know Goodness, but it's so it's like the Friel Brothers. I don't know if you know the Friel Brothers at all. Familiar with yeah, them, yes. On a stuff around town. Awesome guys. And um Carrie Ockrey. Um Carrie was in Hammerbox and um she's been she was in a band with McCready as well. What were they called? They were called the Rockfords or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Rockford. So um it was her band and goodness uh was um with uh see it was chris freel her it was uh danny newcomb do you know danny i know danny well yeah and there was yeah so it's really good to fear and all that they were a huge in town so they, they were playing like the Showbox, which is like a 1200 seat arena thing like we're um we're flight to mars place you know yep. so within a year we were opening for them there like on new year's eve so it was like it was quickly going up the ladder and we got signed and we signed to a label called pop llama which was um Papalama had the presidents and they had the posies and they had the fastbacks, the young, fresh fellows. So we were, we were feeling it at that point. That was kind of our, like we were mid twenties or whatever, and really starting to have things happen. And that's when, you know, we put out a couple albums together. Um, when our drummer left, um, the next drummer that joined us was Jason Finn from the presidents. So he was in that next band or then it was the same band, Nevada bachelors, but the second CD, and we were really growing and doing good things. And that band kind of fell apart more because everybody was going off to do side projects. Yeah. Our guitar went off to do a, like a year long tour with Harvey Danger. Wow. And um, Jason was getting back with the presidents because they were kind of reforming again and doing this thing with Sir Mix-a-Lot and stuff like that. And then I just got frustrated because there wasn't enough time in it. So it kind of fell apart there. But And then I started working on solo material after that. So, yeah. So, Rob, you, you're getting the, the, this band now separates you're going your own separate ways you're working on your solo projects is there when you're writing music do you have to, is there like a place you have to go to mentally 
to get like in that feel to write things or does things just come natural to you? Like what is the process of you actually writing a song? Oh, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty quick for me. Um, I'm backwards in the sense that I usually write the words first. Most people, and that's kind of why I can do this sort of, I have this uh, thing where I, I write people's either poetry or lyrics into songs for like side business. And it's been pretty, it's been pretty successful. Lately, it's slowed down because of, I think, COVID. People don't have the dough to throw around like that. But um, I still have a few clients that are definitely uh, still doing that with me. Um, but it's, it's I'll, I'll write a bunch of poetry just or a bunch of uh, lyrics or whatever it is in a book. And I'll just start floating through it. And, oh, that, oh, that catches my eye. And I'll just... It, it's like it's like um, it it tells me almost what what to play. It's hard to explain, but um, so I write a little backwards where a lot of writers will start with some chord progressions. OK, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Now I'm going to write some words to fit or write some, you know, and figure out a melody. For me, I'm looking at the, the words and they're kind of almost telling me, oh, I should do this chord and this melody. It's it's really a little backwards. And so, yeah, it's never been, um, I've never, I can, I can't remember a time I've ever had writing block. I've, I've been absolutely the opposite in that way. Um, in that I'm always writing. I won't say it's always great. Some of it's pretty terrible and some of it's way better than the other. So it just, it's all over the place, but I just let it all flow out. And, um, and then, then kind of let whoever I'm playing with kind of cherry pick at what, what they might want in the group like with now with our group um i'll just you know with embers i'll just send them demos all the time in fact the problem is i send them too many demos and they're like yeah that one we got to get to that one and then like six weeks later they've had four or five others and they're like oh what one were we looking at you know so yeah <laughs> so you so it's interesting because like to me when i wrote things and listen i'm not on any level of of creativity to write anything it's like i'm not that talented at all i can barely play an instrument to hit a tune um but like it was really difficult for me so i'm really jealous and envious of people that can just be like yeah man i just wrote these lyrics down i put a piece together i, I threw guitar into it and it's and then it, it's you know because like there's been times where you've sent me some hey dude this is a rough cut i'm listening to it i'm like the fuck is this? you mean this is a rough cut this sound dude this is i'm, I'm ready to run to the radio station let land and be like hey throw this on that you know it sounds good so it's always like peculiar to me that like, like I, I really believe that there's a part of the brain that musicians have that other people they try to tap into that they just can't, because there's a creativity side to th the to music, that and a and a mental side of things that if you don't have it, I don't I don't think you can I don't think you can just learn music to learn music. I think you have to have the feel for it and have like this ability that's born into you that. As much as you want to try and train for it, you just can't get. Well, there's, there's, I'm sure there's different levels of it. I mean, it's like I consider myself kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, things like that. And I've always been able to pick them up pretty well on an average level, not like on a, you know, Tim DiGiulio guitar level. See, it's like, it's like I can play guitar well, but I can't, like, he can just, like, all of a sudden he's just playing these leads. Like, I'm like, how the hell do you, I could never, I could, maybe if I did like 27 takes, I could piece together a solo that sounds kind of sloppily close, but not really. And he just does it without even thinking of it. And the crazy thing is he'll do something and he'll be like, oh, that was horrible. Let's do it again. I'm like, what do you, no, 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 that was perfect. Really? You think it was okay? Yes. You've got to like convince him. He's like, so like 
doesn't even believe in it. I'm like, no, dude, you're amazing. That's perfect. No, stop, stop, leave it alone. <laughs> you know, because he, like, you know, he's the natural. It's like that thing. But I guess the only one, the only one part of my ability in that way has been vocals. I feel like vocally, I can pretty much do most of the things I've ever wanted to do, and that's been pretty awesome. But um, but as far as that instruments, I, I can get my way around. I can fake my way through just about any of them. But um. You know, I, I'm I'm not playing drums like uh, you know Cameron or something. You know, I'm not playing uh, bass like. Well, as much as I'd love to be a really amazing bass player, I I, I work really hard at bass because that's probably the one that I, if I had the chance to really put enough time into, I probably could be pretty damn good at that. So I work on that a, a bit. But um, but like I'm a jack of all trades, but not the master. You know. <laughs> well, listen. The there was one song that I that you sent me. It was the first time I listened in on the studio night that to me was probably, I mean, you know, I do my year end of year, like top songs and stuff like that. That is easily going to be one of the top 10 songs of the year for me. Like there, this, and I, and I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it was the one that I think your brother played on the radio, um, the day after. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, one of my very best, uh, but well, it's just, you know, people, you know, friends, you know, uh, one of my very best friends, uh, who I've been in bands with before many times and we write a lot cause he, he's a great poet and, and, and writer. And that's kind of what he does now. He's a writer. Yeah. He'll say, um, and I'll do stuff. And that's how that song came about. And it just so happens that his fiance is uh, a DJ at KXP. So, she, you know, she hears something she really digs. She'll be like, I'm playing on my show next week, you know? <laughs> so I just get lucky in that way. Um, I mean, that song, what was the name of that song again? I got to rem- Oh, it was that one. Um, uh, seven, seven times seven or something like that. Seven. Yes, seven, it was, it was, it was one of the songs i'm trying to remember what it was called but yeah um it, it does ring a bell but it that the na- that name but it was so beautifully done god i, well, wish, I, I should have had it pulled up i could have been playing that right now this is look at me dropping the damn ball again i'm gonna i'm gonna look up what that actually i'm trying i can't believe I, that's how many songs i write right so yeah. like i can't remember what the song was five weeks ago well it's oh a, i mean if you th- but i mean think about you know anyone who's listening right now if you think about this in 20 weeks, right, there's there's this old saying that, you know, in three months' time, if you work really hard at something, you can produce quality things, right? In th- and that's 12 weeks, right? In 12 weeks since quarantine, all I've done is gain weight and, um, and, and maybe maybe gain a limp. I don't know. But in, in, in the last 12 weeks, Rob has legitimately put out quality music every week that is of standards that... Anybody with that is just a fan of music listens in would be like, wow, this is amazing. Your vacuum song this week was was amazing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that one I felt really good about. That's actually one I might I might um, try to w- work on a little better mix and, and put it out somewhere. You know, because I have a lot of I have uh, a couple of different sites where I just put like my demo stuffs out there. You know, like just kind of floated out there before it ever gets to Emberland and. Um, and some, a lot of it never does because I write a lot. I put stuff under shelk.bandcamp.com. I put stuff under robbenson.bandcamp.com. Just, you know, free stuff that you can go check out. And, um, and it's just my demos. It's me working through my stuff, me trying to figure out some things. And then if embers do get a hold of it, which what's crazy is there, there's several of them that, that have happened that way. They sound so different when they get redone. Mm. Um, even... Um, you know, all amounts to something which will be used with your show. Um, my original version of that is completely different. It's like it's it's almost more kind of like uh, surfy or something. I don't know how to. <laughs> it's totally different. But then it just it took on its its own life with embers. 
Well, it was interesting because you had sent me that demo when we had gotten the release to release those, the two songs, Junkyard yeah. Diva, um, a couple a couple months ago, back in April. And I had I had listened to it, but I hadn't really dug into it. And then yeah. with this new show coming about and working things out, and we had talked about you know new song. I, I remember like, well, I know Rob sent me this email with the, this these songs. Let me just check in. And the first time I heard it, it was like. The song spoke to me. I'm not sure what the song's about in percents, but for some reason, those <laughs> lyrics resonated with what's going on in my life now with these shows and how I'm going forward. I'm like, damn. So I message you and I'm like, Rob, I, and you're, you're like, yeah, do it. And I'm like, I was, dude, I was jumping through joy. My wife's like, what are you so excited about? I'm like, I was like, listen, I'm like, I, I just hit the jackpot of all opening songs for any show possible with what I just got. So well, we're super about that too because i mean like that's a song we recorded in my basement we were just like in between the big studio projects and i was like guys let's see what i can do with my new little mac mini that it's all souped up and and my the mics that i got and stuff like that let's just see what i can do and that's what i did so um uh, we did that here and probably god just a few different days of hanging out you know a couple of practices and then a couple extra weekend days where we got together and and then it, and then i sent it over to my friend johnny sangster who's a, a just an awesome producer musician guy in town and, and had him kind of do a little ma mastering with it um and he just kind of mastered it a little bit and then I, we just put it out as sort of like these demos on on bandcamp they are available on bandcamp at stereoembers.bandcamp.com um that and one other that we had shelved a long time ago but i kind of reworked it and tweaked it and the guys were like that's cool so we put it out as as demos where those others are singles that we did in big studios you know robert lang studios and and um so they they have a much more big, broad, commercial, full sound. But the, the the demo stuff isn't bad. It's fun to do that stuff down here. Maybe I maybe it's me. Maybe I just like that raw, garagey sound. And I don't want to say garagey because none of this is being recorded in garages in the basement and in studios. But like I like I don't know. That's why I've always like admired like the Ramones or even exactly. like the Sex Pistols or you know even Black Flag or you know yeah. those bands that like they would go in. You know, um, and they would just take, you know, they would just go in there, they play it how they wanted to play it. And they, and like the Ramones in general, they would go in as a full band and they record yeah. everything to get like, this is it. We're just doing one, one take. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, uh, I, I think there was a couple other groups that are really into doing that too. Like Black Francis, I think was doing that with his band when, when that's what his version of what he was doing was, um, would just be like, all right, everybody know your parts well enough. We're just recording live. <laughs> We're just going to go into a good studio, but record live. Yeah. And you get this rawness of it. That's just really cool. And, you know, you stick, you know, stick with the mistakes and, or maybe you can fix a few mistakes, but for the most part, it was like, we're just going to keep what we do. You know, we're going to do it right. Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the greatest, like I would say one of the greatest reasons that you can see different bands record different ways is like, let's go back to Ramones, for instance, the Ramones yeah. recorded a shit ton of albums. Right. But in, the third or fourth album, end of a century, they end up getting Phil Spector, who uh, Joe Ramone admired, and he's like, "Listen, we're gonna do all these crazy things." They went over the top with like overly producing it um, and getting you know all the, these songs out. I think it was nineteen eighty one or eighty two, maybe eighty. They put this album out that Phil Spector put out, and in theory, I think one of their weaker albums that they ever put out was End of a Century because it was just so overproduced. It wasn't them. You know, it was something totally different. Yep. Well, and then some bands like what was it? The replacements that went back and redid one of their albums. that was just so polished back in them days because 
they just were like, that wasn't the vision we had. And then they just went back and, and re-released it as just really raw, gritty version, which, you know, it's cool that, 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 um, yeah. Cause I think in the eighties, a lot of bands were getting really polished material, really sort of big booming the, just every drum sound was just massive, like, ooh, you know, like just the size of a stadium. And, and, um, and sometimes you just kind of want to hear that sort of, garagey recording to me i love that stuff like that's and to me the strokes always had a it was very polished but it was still garagey in that way it has that sort of like it almost the drums are kind of a little muted and a little sort of just like you're right there in the room with them you know yeah the strokes are that's a great example of a band that it's kind of modernized that i think another band of recent i think early kings of leon were like that um i think once they got polished too much i, I wasn't a fan of their music i think their early stuff like man uh, youth man and manhood i believe it was um was really good and raw um but yeah if you i, I don't know, i like the ability of feeling like it's not perfect I, I i like the ability to think that like what you're hearing and what you're listening to is kind of like them being themselves because i think sometimes there have been bands that i've seen live that I like a band when you see them live. Like I think Pearl Jam is a great example. That sometimes I like them better live than on albums because I feel like they're getting to be able to be a little more creative on stage and they're building onto the songs and it's different. And they know that what they put in the studio is what they have, but it's it's great live. But then you have bands that worked to overdo things in the studio so much that when they go live, they can't produce anything equivalent to what's on the album. That it kind mm. of. I don't think it holds true in many bands like that. They just don't last. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, if you overdo things for sure. Yeah. I can see how that'd be extremely hard to reproduce. That's the one difficult thing about some of the, um, solo things where I'm just messing around and being creative and trying to be, uh, abstract and different. I do all these keyboard and synthy things and whatever. And then I go, I don't know how the hell I'd ever do that life. So it's just sort of an experiment. It's just like an art project. Throw it at the wall. But, um, yeah, you know, speaking of the garagey thing, when I was really young, uh, way back at the the days where I lived at NAF back then, uh, one day Mark Nafsi said, dude, you got get in my car. I'm like, all right, cool. Uh, I'm going to play something for you. This is going to be the greatest thing you're going to ever hear. It's just going to blow your freaking mind. I'm like, all right. So he turns this thing on. He starts playing it. And I'm like, dude, this is, it was very raw, but it was just killer. It was really well produced and really well done. And I'm like, this is like the greatest song ever. What I, I obviously know who it is from listening to it, but give me the story. And he's like, all right. So Cornell just wrote this song and he wrote it um, and, and he's going to, he's gave it to Ozzy Osbourne. It's going to, and Ozzy's probably going to sing it. We're going to see what happens with it, but we're going to find out. So it was a demo uh, all done by Chris Cornell of Black Hole Sun. And you can find this on YouTube now, but at the time, obviously no one, you know, it was it, Chris Cornell just got his first like eight track studio set up in his basement and he did everything drums, bass, guitar. It was just killer. It was so good. And of course, a year or so later, Ozzy, well, Ozzy passed on the song, which is crazy. Ozzy, you could have had a big hit there, buddy. But, um, uh, Soundgarden picked it up, and then of course a year or two later it came out, and it was you know the massive hit. Sure. But it was a few years before that, and it was like I got to hear it sitting in somebody's car on a demo, and it was killer. So it's like amazing stuff. That I, that's I, did, I had no idea that he wrote that song for Ozzy, and it's weird. Yeah, that Ozzy, was, Ozzy was looking for songs, and so that, that he was like, all right, yeah, here, you know. But you know, it's funny now that I'm li like in my head, I can actually hear Ozzy singing that song a little uh, bit, like. That's exactly what I thought too. I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a huge hit for Ozzy," but um, I'm really glad it worked out the way it did. Yeah, because I think it was a departure. I think for Soundgarden a little bit. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, sure. they were really like sort of heavy Sabbathy Zeppelin runs and big, you know, and grungy and all that. And then all of a sudden, 
Black Hole Sun was a totally different. It was kind of had this Beatly vibe, but yeah, yeah, it it did change their world for sure. That's amazing. Now let's get back to you're you're, you're doing your solo stuff. You're getting you're writing your own material. You're you're getting experimental with things. You're you're learning your craft after this band kind of split ways. Yeah. When was it, or how did it occur? that you started getting closer and closer to being in the band that you're in now, Stereo Embers? It was a long journey because, I mean, there was a lot of time in between. You know, what's crazy is that Tim and I would play these shows with different bands. We were always sort of in bands of our own and being totally, you know, admiring each other from afar, but we just didn't know each other too well. Um, You know, I went through a band called... uh, Dear John Letters uh, with Cassidy, who's in Cassidy and I have been in the most albums and bands together of all of all the members of of, of Embers, uh, our drummer, and so we were in a band together called Dear John Letters. We we had uh, three albums with two different record labels. Um, the third one did really well, and and uh, there was a real tragedy that happened that kind of cut everything short, um, unfortunately. But that's how that happens. And then so went on to another band after that called Department of Energy with Cass on drums as well. But uh, the keyboard player was uh, Ty Bailey, who is now with um, Katy Perry. <laughs> so he obviously has uh, moved on to uh, greener pastures, making a few extra bucks and a few extra fans. Uh, and but he was originally the one that said at the end of that band, he was like, dude, uh, Tim DiGiulio's band, North Twin, um, looks like they're kind of having a falling out or breaking up or something like that. The um, it's not going to be happening. Um, we should have him come play with us. So probably the last few shows of that band, Tim came and joined us and played some shows with us. And it was really cool. And then I was on track to just try to pull him into whatever I was doing, but he was still kind of going through the bummed out about his band North twin. And he just was like, oh, I need to take some time to think about things. And I go, all right, that's cool. So uh, when Ty left to go to LA, cause he had some positive things going there. And then he ended up in Katie's band. Um, I started a new band um, called the glass notes put out an album with my friend Jake, who's the guy that I was, we were talking about earlier that does a lot of lyrics um, that I write his lyrics in the, in the songs. And the first album we did, uh, put it out, uh, just the, me, him and our, and our buddy Perry, who was on drums at that point, Cass had taken a hiatus cause his kids were really little and he needed to s- focus on them and raise them up and, and get to a point where he felt like he could get back into a band later on. So our buddy Perry was in the band and we put out that first album and I gave it to Tim and that's when Tim's like, all right, okay, <laughs> I want to come play with you. You know, I, I, I don't know. I should have just been there in the first place. And, and so then Tim came over and played with us and we did our second album with Tim. And that's a lot more like stereo members material. It's, it's a lot of like my sort of acoustic songwriting roots, see stuff, but with his, it's like rock and roll vibes and energy. So it's like chocolate and peanut butter, kind of just this melding of the two. And then, um, when that band started, Jake got busy. He started doing a bunch of writing for all these magazines and things. And Perry had some other projects. And Tim and I really wanted to focus on what we wanted to do next. So I put out a solo album. And Tim agreed to go down the coast with me and support me. And so we went down the coast, toured together, um, went down, played you know five shows or something down to L.A. Um, last show, hooked up with our buddy Ty in L.A. And he played a couple shows with us there. We played a pool party and some different things. And it was really fun. And then Tim was like, dude, we got to do this. We, this we got to build this into something. And I go, yeah, but it's not really fair uh, to call it my solo thing because if you really want to be in this, I, I didn't know you did. And so let's, let's just let's come up with a name and we'll be a rock band. And so then actually I got an opportunity to play in Germany. A friend of mine had a wedding and, wow. and 
was inviting me to play over there. And then I go, and then my wife couldn't make it. So he was like, well, have Tim come join you. You know, I'll pay for everything. So he paid for this week long hangout in Germany. We played his wedding. We played a pub there. We hung out. He actually paid for Tim's wife to come along too. So we just, he, everything's a really cool guy, buddy of ours. So we just had this awesome, like eight day hangout in Germany. And we we're just talking about what we want to do next. And that's where we kind of decided, you know, we're going to put a rock band. We didn't know what we were going to call it yet, but we we're going to put a rock band together. And, um, and then a friend of mine, uh, Ben, um, had moved back from Boise and we just kind of put that together. And that's where the stereo Embers started. That was about six years ago. And stereo Embers was actually a song that I had written for, um, uh, the band with, um, uh, the band called department of energy with Ty and with, um, with Cassidy. And we were playing that song because it fit our set. We were just kind of throwing whatever we could in just old stuff of mine in and a couple of things me and Tim had worked on. And we're just trying to find new material and that was one of the songs and uh i think it was ben at the time suggested you guys should just we should just name our band after that song stereo embers we're like oh yeah that's a great name you know so a friend of mine had written the lyrics on that i think i probably told you the story already but i i called him up to get his blessing on that and he's like yeah dude that's great that's amazing and then a week or two later he wrote me and said hey i'm starting an online magazine i'm gonna use the name too hope you don't mind <laughs> so so there's a magazine out magazine as well you know oh uh, man that's but we're all good with each other no that that's awesome and it, it's it's so crazy nowadays well i'm glad that all worked out but like you know and i'm kind of going through this myself but like naming of things and like how things work and stuff and all the laws behind it and things it's such a weird like oh yeah you know back in the day you'd eat you'd like just like oh this is my band name i'm gonna write it on a piece of paper i mail it to myself and not open it and then that shows yeah. it's so crazy nowadays but yeah it's it's Cool. Now, you're, is your friend still doing the online magazine? Yeah. You could, if you go, if you look up Stereo Embers, I think ours is probably the first link possibly, but he's been, he's in San Francisco and he, he's been a fantastic writer forever. He's a, uh, he has several poetry books that have been uh, published and he's really happening in the San Francisco as far as writing. He's always written for different magazines. When I first met him, he was writing for Yahoo like music editor for Yahoo. And he wrote a bunch of stuff for, he liked all the bands that I was in. He just followed all of them. Like he was into Nevada bachelors. He was into dear John letters. He was into department of energy. And then he got into, uh, he's been in all of them. So we just eventually I started talking to him and hanging out and um, online and conversations like this. And, um, and I said, dude, can I try writing some of your poetry in his songs? And he said, yeah, Alex green is his name. And um, he sent me a bunch of his poetry and I wrote like 12 songs of his and a couple of them went into, a few different bands. One was stereo members went into uh, the song, went into the department of energy. Uh, I think it was our second album. We put out, we put out three albums. So yeah, it, it, it I get lost in my own stuff. Cause I think I have like 22 albums out. <laughs> so now, let me of all the different solo bands and whatever it is, you know, Rob, when you look at your, your base of work and everything you've accomplished so far, is there something that sticks out to you that you're just extremely proud of, of how it's put together and everything that's put behind it. That like, this is, like my baby and this is what I like, you know, this is everything to me right now. And not saying that maybe, you know, tomorrow you write something new and that's even better, but like right now that this is, this is me on a platter. It's, it's, it's so all the groups are so kind of, um, they have their own sort of, uh, 
I'm trying to think of what like style vibe. They're all just a little different. So I, they're all like your, you know, they're like your kids. You can't be like, it's like, you know, I, I like my daughter better than the two sons or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, but at the same time, you know, you know, you, you look back fondly on certain things and then you look back on some records and think, Oh boy, there's a couple, you know, stinkers on that record or whatever. It was songs that just didn't really fly too well. The second record by department of energy, I think is really super fun in that sort of, um, almost like shin style pop type thing like okay. that kind of vibe. I like that a lot. Um, uh, the embers stuff for me is more my personal, like favorite, like, you know, roots rock and roll vibe, you know, that sort of like, we all listen to that same style of like 60s, 70s rock. So that's that, that really fits that part of my heart. There's like all these, like, you know, like these uh, pieces of the pie, you know, and some of my, like my wife's a, a huge fan of my solo stuff. That's more like acoustic based and really more like folky and more soulful and R and B ish and stuff. Um, I mean, she loves all of it. She loves that. She's at every Ember show pretty much. So she's into that too, but um, that, that's kind of her bread and butter. So I have a couple solo records that have some little things, slices of things here and there that, that some people really, it fits into their um, genre really well. I mean, every, every one of the groups have, have a, have a, a few songs that that could have that were the cream to the top I, I i need to like i need to do like kind of a best of, i did i started doing a best of thing one time and now i look back at it and i don't think it was the best of it was just ones i liked at the time like you're saying at the time i was feeling them right yeah uh on my site robbenson.bandcamp.com there is like sort of a retrospective of like a song or two from every band all the way through it's like this big long history of and and stuff like that so i'm gonna do another one of those i think i need to do that I'm going to look forward to hearing that. Now, with you being a musician, I always found that, like, and maybe I'm wrong for thinking this, but I always think that musicians have an easy time with the ladies. Now, you're married, and your wife goes to all your shows. Do you use music to help your marriage out? Like, do you write your wife songs? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely been, I mean, you can't write, let's put it this way, you can, you can, if every song was a love song, that would get kind of old too. You have to, pick, you know what I mean? You, um, you know, special, special times happen and you write about them and you, and you know, I definitely. And, and the cool thing about, I mean, Darla's like my biggest fan. So I'm very That's lucky. Awesome. in that. I think a lot of people, you know, um, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I know different musicians that, that they're significant, significant others, uh, for one reason or another, not all that interested in going to their shows or doing all that, but she's just, she's at every show. She's right in the front row. She's jumping around. She's having a great time. She's meeting my friends and hanging with them. And it's just this, it's, she's part of the party. You know what I mean? And uh, so I'm very fortunate in that way. And I think that um, because she happens to like the songs, um, that probably helps me a lot. It, it gets me out of the doghouse if it, when I'm in it, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I'm really, yeah, so, honey, that, that, uh, yeah, that, you know what, the other week when we were arguing about this and that, and that's, I'm so sorry about that. By the way, I wrote this tune. You want to hear it? yeah i'd like that you know and then wow really like the song oh thanks babe you know (laughs) so she's she's yeah she's been my greatest support i'm super super i mean this basement is i mean she could have fought for the basement and said i need it for my art but she just gave it to me and said no the basement's yours you you make your studio and it's it's yours and um so no i'm I'm the luckiest guy in the world in that way so that that's that's amazing do you use her as any kind of motive like not motivation that's not the word i'm looking for um, any influences on any of the songs that you have written? 
Oh yeah. Well, she's got a killer ear too. So, um, she's, she's a, like a musician, um, that never pursued it, I guess you could say like she can place, she plays accordion pretty well. And she, if she wanted to, I think she could be a great bass player or, or whatever instrument, but she's just always like got other things to do. Cause she's an artist and a creative person in that way. Um, but she's got a killer ear. A lot of times I'll record something and I'll be like, something's off in this mix and I can't tell what it is. And I'll play it for her. And she's like, Oh yeah, the bass is a little bit loud. You know, I, I want to hear a little more of the snare, um, add a little mid range. And I don't know how she does it. And I'm like, and then I'll go do it. And it's like, the mix is right. And I'm like, I don't know how you did that. I don't know. She's like, I don't know. I just hear things. So she's got a really great ear for not being an actual musician. That's, you know, she's, she's got a killer ear. That's, that's amazing. Now with you, with quarantine being in effect and all of us being home more than we've ever been in our entire lives. And the fact that musicians unfortunately are not playing out right now. Um, what changes have you made in your life to can, to keep yourself going forward, playing music and, and, you know, working with bands to kind of move forward with things? I mean, a lot of it, like I said, is that song club. It's been, it was a blessing in disguise. It, um, when my buddy Joel put that together, I didn't know how, how to, how to, um, I was a little nervous because these, some of these guys, a lot of them are, well, all of them are, yeah, I'm the oldest guy at the club for sure. Let's put it that way. And some of them are really happening young badasses in town. Um, and I was like, man, I'm going to be the old sort of rocker that's going to be, <laughs> you know, I, I, but, um, but it's been really, really fun because it's challenged me. There's parameters and prompts and some of them are like, this week's a dance type thing or it's, you know, stuff that I would never even think about writing. And it's pushed me in that way. It's, it's helped me. And then we get together when we play them on Friday nights and I've, you, you uh, snuck in on one of them. It's been kind of a private club. It's going to start opening up in season two when they, when they start that in about eight weeks or whatever it is, six, seven weeks. I don't know when it is, but whenever they do that. Um, but um, it was, it, we're there for each other. We're all set of, we're, we're cheering each other on. We're, we're expressing what we like best about their songs. We're all positive people. And, you know, these are all really talented musicians. And when somebody is saying, man, that's, that's the greatest hook, that melody is killer, or, you know, God, that bass line is sweet, you know, or whatever, it just, you know, and then we're all saying it to the next person. We're, we're picking out the pieces that we like the best. We're, um, trying to be honest when we, when we need to be, but not, not in a negative cr critique way, but just like, pointing out the positives and and um it's just been really super cool and i mean like last night was our last show for a while and it was it was almost like man it was almost kind of like it, it was hard to explain it but it was a little bit teary it was like you know we we're like man we've all grown together there's like 12 of us in the club and we've all just like grown to be total buds and just really learn from each other and grown. So that's been a lot of what's kind of kept, kept me going. I think if I didn't have that, I probably would have been working on a solo record, which would have been nice. And now I can do that. So <laughs> take the time to do that. But, um, but yeah, uh, the hardest part has been obviously, you know, my, my band, we're very much a live, we're a live group. You know, we've tried to start to do the online thing a little bit, but it's, um, it's been a very slow uh, process and a little bit painful in the way that you know some of us are just not as interested in that part of the process you know or doing it that way it's more of a get together in a room type of band and that's been tough for me uh and all of them and i think we'll be able to do that a little more soon safely because i've been holding back because my my um, father-in-law who moved here from wisconsin for the last several weeks to have uh, surgery for his uh, uh 
a cancerous tumor that re returned. Um, he's doing really, really well, and he's moving back to Wisconsin next week. So I can be, you know, um, still cautious with COVID and everything, but sure. but less. It's less. It's more about me now. Hey, if it's me that gets sick, it's me. But it, him, that's the last person I want to see with this. So I've been extremely, extremely at home. I haven't done much of anything other than the necessary shopping. And even then it's like trying to do, you know, uh, online stuff as much as possible and just kind of just be home, you know? So the next step is, so we'll be working on a solo album then hopefully that, soon. Or at least an EP or something. I oh, got sure, these sure. next. Yeah. Uh, start to do something completely on my own without anybody's prompts or parameters. Just me. What, what am I writing? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? I haven't really been able to delve into that because I've been so busy. I, I'm curious to see what will happen when I start putting pen to paper and it's just my random thoughts because we've all gone through a lot of crazy stuff. Who knows? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Well, I think the one thing from COVID and especially with everything going on in the world right now, because there's a lot going on, whether it's, you know, Black Lives Matters, whether it's with the president, yep. whether there's yep. a lot going on right now that yep. that's holding up a lot of um, people like emotionally. When I mean hold up, emotionally holding up, like there's a lot of things building in a lot of people and a lot of people express things differently. I'm yep. expecting from this to see a lot more creative art, whether it's visual, which we've seen some amazing visual art in the last couple of year, a couple of weeks with the Black Lives Matter movement and yes. and, and and everything, and and vocally, and I think it's beautiful. Um, and I'm really thinking that there's going to be a lot of hopped up energy coming out in a musical sense, um, yep. especially within the next few months. That I, I believe is going to come from this being at home. And being forced to do things and live in a way that we've never lived before, being uh, forced to deal with emotions we've never had to deal with before, seeing truths brought to our eyes that we were blind to for so many years, and just now it's how do we move forward with it? And some people are going to find out the creative process is the way to do that. And I'm really excited to see some bands that have been established and what they're going to do with it and to see people that we've never heard of before come to the forefront and utilize this in a way that produces beautiful art. Well, yeah. And I really feel for the younger groups that were, but I have a, a lot of great friends that were, like I said, just busting their ass and playing a lot and touring a ton and getting their first big breaks, you know, and this all happened. And, you know, like I've, I've, I have a ton of history in my, in my past. And so, you know, I, you know, I've done a lot of things and I've been a lot of places. And so I, I you know, I feel more for them because it's really just breaking them. It's stopping them. But then again, maybe this, like you said, will allow them to go to a place they never would have gone emotionally and create something they never would have created had it not happened. So, um, you know, my hat's off to all those people that, that, you know, those young bands that got their first opportunity to go play these big festivals or these big things. And it just, the rug was pulled out. And I, you know, that, that, that sucks, especially when you're just, you know, you're young and you're, you're full of uh, piss and vinegar and ready to go, you know, you're, 25 or 27 and you're just ready to just kill it you know and this is this is tough for them but um well, i think you're right you're right it, good good will come we got to think positive we'll get we'll get through this eventually there'll be a, a vaccine there'll be a way to get through it um uh, and or it'll fade away i don't know we'll see uh it's just you know i'm not a scientist but exactly i'm trying to keep my eye on the science and and uh try to be smart about it all and you know and, and stay positive well it's interesting you did say something um 
that went to a conversation I was talking to someone the other day about. There is an artist. Her name is J.J. Wild. Um, she's out of Canada. And she was touring with the Struts and Rainwolf. And she was on festival circuits and she was getting big. The record company had a hard date of when her album was going to come out. Her album went number one in Canada. She she's had number one songs across the border, um, all the way up through the end of end of June, I believe. Yeah. Well, my the concern I have now is well, she can't tour, right? Because listen, the bands that are touring right now they're not looking good to anybody because they're not doing it correctly and it's casting a shadow on them. And so nobody in my personal opinion should be doing anything that is going to make themselves look bad because it's going to hurt them in the long run because it's just going to follow them for a long time. So this poor girl who's 27 years old, who I think is probably, and I'm not, it's, it's hard for me to like new music. I know it sounds terrible, but like I'm, I'm, I like a certain thing, right? Like, I like a certain bands. I like certain music. Like, I like a certain feeling. So I haven't really heard a lot of new music that's just like, oh, I love this new band. I'm going to follow it. But, you know, with her, she, I was like, wow, this is really good. And I worry by the time we get to tour, oh, okay, is she going to be relevant enough that she's going to sell those clubs out, that she's going to be that, – that, that, that steam from now is going to be relevant in a year? Yeah, it's really, it's very, it's it's just so hard to tell. Yeah. And I I imagine, I want to think that everybody that was on that track will just sort of like take, take over where they were and just keep climbing, you know, hopefully for them and for everyone um, that has, I mean, I guess, you know, we, God, it's just so weird to think about. Yeah, we we had all these things planned as far as like, you know, CD release or not CD release because it was uh, electronic singles, but um, single release parties and all these big shows that we had planned and then just cut out cut out there too. But yeah, I think I'm I want to think that um that that people will remember and and maybe even, you know, how like music is a time in your life and maybe it won't be the, I I want to think that the good music of this time will be something we'll look back fondly on and think maybe that's what got us through it or helped us get through it because a lot of us have those days where it's like holy crap without the music what would we do you know we just and the cool thing is you can make music at home unlike movies and films people can't really be doing that right now which is you know I mean uh you know unless it's I mean I haven't I've seen a couple of funny uh short films that were done with the masks and just you know based around that whole thing but um for the most part music you know at home solo artists especially or or even people there's a bunch of people collaborating online that are sending tracks around to each other and that's i think you know i think there's going to be some beautiful things like you said come out of this and hopefully that that she'll get the traction she she deserves and and keep on the up trajectory and 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 have the career that she deserves to have that's cool though that you say that it's funny you say that actually because i'm the i'm the same way musically i'm like that sort of like get off my lawn guy um and um and there there's a lot of new stuff that gets pushed by big big labels that i'm just so not a part of and not into and it doesn't it doesn't float my boat I think that's one of the reasons that this uh, song club thing was was so uh, refreshing to me because these people are young and really full of great, wonderful ideas and really great new songwriting abilities and 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 melodies that are just knocking me off my socks. And so, um, that's that's been cool. It's been cool to hear to, to be humbled by that by good players and good know know that there's lots of young people that are kicking ass right now. And so. Sometimes you just got to search for it because, like, like we both talked about, there's just so much out there. There really and is. So that's about today, like, you got to kind of, if you want to find something new and exciting, it's out there. You just got to probably dig a little harder, you know. Well, take a- well, and you got to remember too. We, I think you and me come from the same thought. Like, you know, it drives my nuts on nuts. Like, 
for instance, I think the new My Morning Jacket album that recently came out is absolutely stunning. It's beautiful. It might be album of the year. And that's hard. Really? Oh, my God. I, I okay. honest to God, truly believe. And it's crazy because these are songs they left off of the Waterfall album from a couple of years ago. These are the outcasts. And there is a song on this album that is the song I truly believe the Grateful Dead wanted to make but could never put together. You had mentioned that to me in a chat once, and I, and I was trying to think of what that might sound like, and I don't know why I didn't go. You know what? At the time, I didn't have Spotify. That was the thing. Um, oh, okay. But now I got it again, so I can go listen to whatever now. I was kind of on this like high horse of like, God damn you, Spotify kind of thing. I think a lot of people are that. You heard what that president or the CEO guy. What a piece of shit. Yeah, it's a drag to have to pay that guy money to to get to your favorite music but um yeah it's the world we live in i guess it's like the same uh, jeff bezos we give him money all the time to order our amazon so i don't know it's tough but i mean for him to think to say you really think you're going to make enough money if you only put albums out every three to four years who i mean yeah. what what, what? Dude, come on now crazy i mean i know you're the money behind it all and you're the you're the, one of the sources but 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 be a musician go through the ups and downs go through the moments you know sometimes when musicians take off a, a year or two or three or four that's when their best stuff comes out because they yeah. just need they were just exhausted from whatever maybe they toured too much maybe they just maybe they needed to clean up or maybe they needed to get their shit together or whatever it is but sometimes they come back from that and it's just like you know that's when they have the breakthrough so to say that they should be recording the whole time and they don't make their money recording they make their money getting out there and, and touring and selling merchandise and stuff. And that's, you know, that's where, and, and, for, and now that's gone. So but yeah, we've that, had to vent ourselves. <laughs> oh, it, it's crazy, but it, it, that, that whole thing drove me nuts. But it's the one thing that like, I was trying to explain to my son, like if we go in the car, anytime I listen to an album, unless it's like a single member, I start from song one and let it play out. Like I truly believe that there's a process and an art behind the placement of songs and how it's put together. So I, I believe in albums. I really, truly believe in the idea of 1 through 13, for instance, and playing 1 through 13. And my son's like, no, no, just skip to that song. And I'm like, but, but I'm like, but if I like how it's cushioned between this and then ends with that, like there's something to it. Like to me, like I don't believe Pink Floyd was ever a singles kind of band. Yeah. Like when I hear money on the radio, I usually turn it off. But if I hear it, if I listen to Dark Side of the Moon, there is this way that it fits in that it's it just it, it's sandwiched in between these songs. It, it, it's a whole piece, it's a whole masterpiece. Yeah. Well, maybe and it's back to that like cassette thing too, right? It's like you know when you kind of don't have a choice, you just listen to the whole thing. And you, you know, I don't know. It's it's all good. Well, listen, Rob. I think we have said it as much. I know. I, I can't believe we had all the audio issues, and I'm so sorry that you had to go off and, and buy Zoom to make this happen or whatever it is. Listen, you know? Rob, when it comes to you and anyone in Stereo Embers, first of all, I admire you guys all. I think you guys are extremely talented. I would do anything to help you guys out in my little bubble of world that I have um, because you guys are the most generous and gracious people in the world. Um, and like I said, it's just crazy how I met Tim because I'm complimenting my role model to his face about how amazing he is. And within 10 seconds, like, no, 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 no. He's a better guitar player than me. And I'm like, get the, I'm like, what? And then I meet Tim and we start communicating 
And then he's like, hey, dude, I'm going to have these new songs come up. Like, oh, listen, what can we do? We work this thing out. And he's like, dude, I want to I want to introduce you to Rob. Then I'm talking to you. And then, I'm, and then like, you introduce me to Guan. And Guan makes this killer playlist that was perfect for COVID-19. Oh, and I, what was great was he did too, right? He did the... He did too, yeah. Or something, which was just awesome. I loved his, the Guilty Pleasures. I thought I might have liked that list even better. I did. Yeah. The, guilty, the Guilty Pleasures Guan playlist might be the greatest... COVID-19 playlist that is out there. Yeah. Yeah. But no, dude, listen, I, I absolutely adore you guys. I thank you for coming on. Um, I, I, I'm hoping that we might be doing more together in the future. I would love that tremendously. Yeah. And, 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 and my goal now with Embers is to get you that one through 13 record. Cause we haven't put that out yet. You know, we've got a bunch of EPs, but we've never put the whole thing together. That was what we were working on. We were like in the middle of that and it just kind of just ah, the rug, you know, but um, that's the goal, you know, eventually to have that full length record. I know Tim's been hounding me really hard. on like, we got to write more kind of acoustic. Cause he's like, we can't just be full on rock. We got to write some acoustic stuff to have that fit, you know, the middle songs, the, the ups, downs, the all arounds, you know, just to have a full, uh, you know, uh, just a, a, a peaks and valleys. You, know? Wait, you got it. Was it like extreme road, uh, wholehearted? I mean, that's, you just got to find your wholehearted, right? Yeah, you just got to find the full pile. <laughs> well, listen, Rob, thank you so much for coming on. Um, listen, if you're watching, you're listening, Rob Benson, Stereo Embers, Facebook, Instagram, he's all over the place. He's doing things. He's a mover. He's an influencer. He is a shaker and a mover. Um, I plan on doing more with Rob in the future. Stay tuned for more details. And until next time, thank you so much for tuning in to the Touring Fan Live.